Thank you, team. Thank you so much. And uh, really, we have Jesus. We have everything, right? He is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure hidden in the field. And any thinking of generosity always begins with God, who is so gracious and so giving. And it's a real blessing to be here in the service with you today and also to participate in the celebrations that are going on in the other service as well. I was just sitting there being blessed as the old guy <laughs> to uh, see Elijah baptized and uh, know of God's work in his life, seeing him grow up, and then uh, what God's done Tom and Amy's life. So grateful. And then Josiah being baptized. Uh, what a privilege. Uh, you know, as a pastor, to baptize your children is, is, is a special blessing. But I was sitting here thinking of when I uh, first met Lauren, when her family moved down here from Evansville, Indiana, when she was a teenager, and seeing her come up through the student ministry, then go off to Bible college and seek the Lord in missions, and took her by way of the Middle East for a while, and then over into uh, Beijing. China, uh, and there uh, serving on a team, and her and a couple of friends decided they wanted to go to an English-speaking church for a service. So they got on a bus, drove all this way, and went to Beijing Baptist. Okay, Now, the only folks that were allowed there were people who were not national Chinese. You had to be an expatriate to come. Uh, but she went there, and a young guy preaching named Joe Kappel, okay? And so they got to know each other, and it's the only time I did pre-marriage counseling by way of Skype around the world, okay? That was interesting. And then uh, to officiate their wedding, that was incredible, and then experience this moment. Wow, Lord's good. He's so gracious and kind and uh, allows us just to hang around just to see uh, some things that he does uh, over the passing of the years. And so I want us to talk about that kind of God that we can trust this morning. Trusting God is the theme of our series here this month. I think you know that. Uh, if you're newer to West Park, or maybe our guest this morning, uh, generally in the month of November, we have an, uh, a focus on trusting God, uh, being generous as he's been generous with us and uh, it works up to a, a, also a special offering that we've had here for about 25 years or so that we call the Jehovah Jireh offering which is next Sunday and uh, it's always the Sunday before Thanksgiving opportunity for us to be uh, generous in our giving to God and uh, generally that offering goes for uh, some aspect of the campus development here, building here, and many of you know that we are in the process of building a, a new children's building, the nursery's underway, preschool development, and also elementary building, and uh, so we're thinking about generosity for generations, and when we see this in our uh, baptism this morning, we just see how uh, our generosity impacts generations yet to come. And, you know, I sit here by faith, and I just, by God's grace, until Jesus comes, I can just see generation after generation of young people coming in the love of the Lord, uh, being baptized and serving Him and raising up godly families. Uh, that's my hope, and I hope it's your hope as well. I'm so, so thankful for what God has done. But I want you to understand as we... Turn this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17. If you turn there, 1 Kings chapter 17. Our focus really uh, in this month of November, it's really not about stewardship. You know, when we hear stewardship, that's sort of a church term, but we translate it in our minds and we think fundraising, okay? Uh, stewardship, yeah, stewardship, but they mean fundraising. But really, our focus isn't on stewardship, fundraising. The focus we're thinking about, talking about, it's on lordship and faith raising. 
faith raising, the, the growing of our faith that, yes, does impact our generosity, but our, the focus isn't on stewardship, it's on lordship, not fundraising, but faith raising. And the focus is really on the process of knowing God. I think if you really trace what the Bible has to say about generosity, Old Testament, New Testament, if you'll look at those passages carefully and you'll listen, you'll see that the emphasis is always not on an opportunity to give financially, but an opportunity to experience God in new ways spiritually, to grow in the grace of knowing God, deeper and deeper experience with God. I've been thinking about that process of knowing God this week as I've thought about this passage. And I've shared this before with people uh, in mentoring and counseling situations. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. When we talk about the process of knowing God, we begin here. We begin with honoring God. We honor God for who He is. We recognize the most important thing that we can ever recognize in our life. There is a God, and I'm not Him. It all flows out of that. There is a God, and I'm not Him, and I need to honor this God, my Maker, Creator, my Redeemer. And I honor God as... He gives me opportunities for trusting God. Out of that honoring God, I'm going to have opportunities for trusting Him. He's going to allow me to be in situations where I don't, I don't see how it's all going to work. <laughs> but I know that He's calling me to something. He has me in a situation. And I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to rely on Him. And out of that trusting God, then... I experience knowing God. Not just knowing about Him, or yes, knowing Him as my Savior, but even more, knowing Him personally. To go deeper into what Jesus said is really life. Jesus said this is life eternal to know God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. The only true and living God to know Him and to know Him through Jesus. And so as I honor God, He will allow me to trust Him. He proves Himself faithful. And then I know Him in a deeper way. I experience Him. And then what happens? He gives me more opportunities to honor Him. Lord, You first. First in my life. He gives me more situations for trusting Him. A new situation that I don't know the complete circumstances or how it's all going to work out. But I rely on Him. And I act upon my faith in Him. And then what happens? I'm knowing God. I'm knowing God deeper and deeper. And because I'm knowing God, I honor Him. <laughs> you see, it's just this, it's this continual process this continual process of knowing God, I used to call it the circle of life, but too many people started singing a song, okay, and saying a kuna matata, all right, I lost them on that, so I changed it, okay. But this is the journey. And I want you to look at our text today. The text that we have in our, our focus here is a living story of this process of honoring God, trusting God, and knowing God. And it is a story that involves two of the most unlikely and unlike people you could ever imagine. And so we find it in 1 Kings chapter 17. And so I want you to follow along in your Bibles as we read verses 1 through 16. This is a living story of what it means to honor God and then through that, trusting God, and through that, knowing Him, experiencing Him. Here's the story. The Bible says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead 
said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no... There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward. Hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she came, and she and he and her household ate for many days jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now this is an incredible story, but I want you to make sure that you understand it's a living story. When we read these stories in the Bible, especially stories in the Old Testament, we need to read them as living stories. And this week, as I was preparing for our time here, a a passage came to my mind to remind me of this for myself. And let me read it to you. It's not about this situation, but it is the Apostle Paul speaking to Christians in Corinth about the things written in the Old Testament. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now listen carefully. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. What's Paul saying? These stories, historical stories in the Old Testament, are living stories because they've been written down by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And they've been written down for the generations of the people of God to come. They've been written down, especially for us in this age, Which is the age awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? The end of the age has come upon us. And these stories have been written down as an example and instruction for us on how we are to live. You see, friends, when you hear that from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, listen carefully you can never read the Old Testament the same again. 
It's a living word. And so this morning, what I want us to do, I want us to think about God's story and our story. God's story and our story. And I wanted to do it in these three points. I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, understanding God's big story. Number two, the unfolding of God's big story. And number three, our uniting with God's big story. Understanding God's big story, the unfolding of God's big story, and then our uniting with God's big story. And as we do this this morning, my prayer is that through our response, we will experience what I'd like to call the theme of this message, experiencing God as our unfailing provider. Experiencing God as our unfailing provider. Now, let's think about this story in light of understanding God's big story. We always need to make sure that we read the Bible as a story. Filled with verses, filled with doctrine, filled with illustration for our lives, but it is a big story. It's so big because it's God's big story. And God has been so gracious to help us to understand His big story and our relation to it. I'll never forget years ago, I heard a missionary pray this prayer. I don't remember anything about the prayer, but I'll never forget what he said in that prayer. He said this, Thank you, Lord, for letting us get in on what you are up to. <laughs> I thought, that's great. Thank you, Lord, for letting us get in on what you are up to. So here's the question. What is God up to? What's God up to? Well, here's what God is up to. Here's God's big story. It's the story of restoration through redemption. That's the big story. Restoration through redemption. Paradise lost. That perfect relation Adam and Eve had with Father God in a perfect world. All lost by their rebellion and sin. Is regained. And it's returned to God's children. A redeemed and renewed creation where the sons and daughters of God will once again live in the presence of their Father. That's what the Bible's all about. Paradise lost. Paradise regained and restored by redemption. By a purchase that has been made to accomplish it. A people and a planet restored, purchased, and set free by Jesus Christ, the second Adam. That's what we studied in Romans chapter 5 just a few weeks ago. A people being called out by God's grace out of their fallenness and sin purchased, set free, and then in the age to come, perfectly restored world, perfect restored people forever rejoicing in the presence of God. That's the big story. The Bible's all about that big story. The redemption of a family by grace through faith. It started with Adam and Eve. Remember that? Came down through the family of Seth. From Seth down through the family of Noah. From Noah down through the family of Shem. From Shem down through the family of Abraham. And God said to Abraham, In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And from Abraham came the Jewish people. And from the Jewish people would come the Messiah, Jesus, who would be Savior of all, not just Jews, 
but in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's the big story. And so as we read this story, we read it in light of that big story. So I want you to see now today, we're looking at a page of the unfolding of God's big story. That's God's big story, but now here's a page of that story. And what do we learn from this page of the story? Now, let me tell you what page we're on. We're in the Dark Ages. When it comes to the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel, 1 Kings 17 is the Dark Ages. Now, in our time keeping, this is about 750 B.C. Judah is the kingdom to the south. Israel, the ten tribes, kingdom to the north. And Israel is in the depths of rebellion against God and apostasy. This is just a few decades before they are carried off by the Assyrians into slavery around the world at that time. But it is the heart of darkness when you get to 1 Kings chapter 17. Just look at what you read here. If you, if you read the last verse in chapter 16, did you see there? It seems out of place. There's a story about a man who rebuilt Jericho at the cost of his two sons. That's because... 700 years earlier, God had said, Jericho is to be left destroyed. Anybody who rebuilds this is rebuilding it in rebellion against me, and it will cost him his own children. And here is this man, he at all, who rebuilt it. So here you have Jericho. It's like a... It's like a Absolute rebellion in the face of God as it's rebuilt. But just 40 miles or so northwest is this kingdom of Samaria. And Samaria is ruled at this time by a king named Ahab, who has completely forsaken the God of Israel, and he worships the God Baal, wicked. Canaanite God. He worships him. But if that's not bad enough, then he marries the, the daughter of the king of Sidon. Sidon is just to the northwest of Israel, modern-day Lebanon. And he marries Jezebel. And Jezebel herself is a priestess of the Sidonian gods, the Asherah, unspeakable filth and immorality. And so here you have a time, think of it, Jericho, rebellion, Samaria, where Israel's center is, given over to Baal, United with the Sidonians, it is absolute apostasy and wickedness. Yet, God never leaves himself without a witness, does he? Never. And in this dark age of spirituality, God's big story is unfolding, and it unfolds on this page in the interaction of two of the most unalike and unlikely characters you can imagine. Yet, they are united by a common quality. They are united by the common quality of grace of God and faith in that God. That quality of grace and faith in God's grace. Now, who's the first one? In this unfolding story. The first person is Elijah, the prophet. Look at verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, 
There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now what do you see in this man, Elijah? You see he's honoring God. He's living up to his name. Do you know what Elijah means? Elijah means Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Not Baal, not the Asherah. Yahweh is God. And he honors God going into the palace of Ahab. And as he goes on this assignment, what is he doing? He honors God, but he's trusting God. Put yourself in Elijah's place. You're going into the heart of darkness. You're going into the very throne room of Ahab and challenging him and saying that God's judgment is coming upon the nation and that there will be no rain until you say there will be rain. So he's trusting God, going into this palace of Ahab, bringing this message. He's honoring and trusting God. But then notice, verse 2, he has to continue to trust the Lord. He survives that, but he's still got to trust the Lord. Look at verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here. Turn eastward. Hide yourself. Not a bad idea after you've done what he's done. Hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. So, he goes across the Jordan, probably 25, 30 miles or so, to a brook Cherith that runs out of the Gilead Mountains to a wilderness area, and he begins to stay there. He's hiding, but he's doing as God has said. And now notice, he's not quite living in five-star accommodations, right? He's in a wilderness area, living sort of a primitive camp campground. But he's trusting God. God told him to do this. But now notice, he notice, notice what happens. He actually, in trusting God, begins to experience knowing God in a way he's never experienced or known him before. Look at verses 5 and 7. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now notice this. God provides for his servant. But God provides for him in the most unusual way and unique way. God says, I'm going to have the ravens bring you food. Now, number one, generous ravens? <laughs> ravens are not generous. Not at all. But God says, I'm going to provide for you through the, less, the least generous bird there is. The ravens are going to bring you food. They're going to bring it to you morning and night. So it's going to be unique how God provides. But listen, it's also going to be humbling. Because there's something else you need to know about a raven. A raven to a Jewish man or woman is an unclean bird. An unclean bird. You're supposed to have nothing to do with them. So God is providing in a unique way, but it's such a humbling way. Because even God's prophets need to know the humbling of God's provision in his way. Now notice, it's not a bad thing now. After he gets used to it, campground, water, morning and evening, room service from the ravens. 
But then it stops. Why? Because the brook dried up. The brook dried up. Now, why did it dry up? It dried up, listen carefully, not because Elijah was out of the will of God. It dried up because he was in the will of God. He was the one who was to say, there will be no rain until I call for it. He's doing the work of God. He's doing the will of God. And he's being provided for by God. He's never had anything like this. But all of a sudden, the water is turned off. You ever been in a situation like that? When it seems like the resources have been turned off. And many times, we are tempted to think, well, maybe they're turned off because of sin in my life. Maybe this is spiritual warfare. Maybe I'm under attack. No, my friend, sometimes the supply is turned off not because you're out of God's will, but because you're in God's will. Because God's going to allow you the privilege of knowing Him as your provider. And this is exactly what happens. The cycle begins over. He's done God's will. He's honored God. He's trusted God. He's, he's known God in a new way. But now he's got another test. What does he do? He honors God. Look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now notice, this is a fearful call. I mean, he, he's been hiding. He's, he's in this hiding place. And God says, now you've got to leave that place I've provided for you. And you've got to go to Zarephath. Do you know where Zarephath is? It's in Sidon. It's outside of Israel. It's in Sidon. Who is from Sidon? It's Queen Jezebel's home country. So God gives this servant a new assignment to go someplace even more dangerous than dealing with Ahab is dealing with Jezebel. It's a fearful call. But notice, it's a humbling call as well. I'm going to provide for you. And he tells him how I'm going to provide for you. I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. A widow. The most vulnerable person possible. A widow no social support, no family support. Without assistance, she is going to be the one to care for you. This is what God tells his servant. Go to the most dangerous place you can imagine. And I'm going to have the most unlikely person provide for you. Now, this is where the story with Elijah intersects now. We have the intersecting of two stories because you have this prophet of God. But now notice the story of God intersects with this widow, this widow of Sidon. Now, Elijah has honored God. He's, he's trusting God. Once again, he's, he knows that the Lord is God. He trusts him. Verse 10, here's how we know he trusted him. So he arose, he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called out to her and said, hey, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand when you come back. Now notice, he is 
trusting God. This is exactly what God said he should do. He obeyed. He's trusting the Lord. But now notice, as he is honoring God and trusting God, his life is now intersecting with another person who's going to be invited into a journey of faith. Someone that he would have never imagined that he would be a prophet to that person. Someone that was completely outside of his people group. Someone utterly unlike him. But God is going to have his story intersect with this most unlikely person, the widow of Zarephath. And now their stories are connected. God is making himself known. He's making himself known to the prophet, but he's also making himself known to this woman and her son. Now, what does this widow do? Remember, she's from Sidon. She's not Israelite. She honors God. Listen to what she says, verse 12. And she said, As the Lord your God, notice that, As the Lord, Yahweh, she knows about him. Your God lives. I know that he lives. He's your God. He lives. I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar, a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son and that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, (laughs) the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day the Lord God sends rain upon the earth. Notice what he says. He says, you will experience this God, this God of Israel. Do as I have asked. This God of Israel does live, and you can experience him as well. This is what Elijah is saying. And so she responds. She honors the God of Israel, and she trusts him. She trusts him. I thought about this woman this week. You know, this woman is like the widow in, who gave all she had in the temple. The widow's might, remember that? She's the widow of the Old Testament. Also, she's like the little boy of the New Testament that gave his lunch to Jesus. It's all he had, but he gave his lunch. That's who she is in the Old Testament. Same kind of encounter with God, same kind of trust. And notice, both, well, we should say really all, not just both, Elijah and the widow and her son experience knowing God in a new and fresh way. Verse 15, And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household. You want that seems to indicate? She invited her extended family to come. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Notice, in the day of a famine, in the day of financial crisis, in the day when the water was turned off, in a day when there was nothing. Yet there is this group of people who are experiencing the miraculous provision of the God who lives because by His grace, they honor Him. They trust Him. And that little group is going to experience him like they've never experienced him before. 
Do you see the unveiling of God's big story here? See what is being unveiled? Here is a picture of salvation, deliverance. By God's grace, and through faith, here is a Jewish prophet and a Gentile family experiencing the grace of God's provision and salvation. They are experiencing, listen, listen. What are they experiencing? Elijah. Yahweh is God. That's what Elijah means. Yahweh is God. Elijah is experiencing the reality of what his name means. And this woman and her family are experiencing the reality. He's our God now. We trust him. And they experience him as Jehovah Jireh. He provides for them. Throughout the days, he provides. My friend, I want to tell you something. This awesome story is not finished. Why is this awesome unveiling not finished? Because the story's not finished. God's big story's not finished. And we are in this story. Friends, listen to me this morning. We're not spectators to this. It may not look the same for us, but this is not written down for time and eternity. It's not written for us upon whom the end of the ages have come so that we might just know a story from the Old Testament. No, it's for our example and our instruction and to build us up in the faith and to know we're not spectators. We are participants in this. This same God lives today. He is my God. And if he's not your God today, my friend, he can be your God. Turn away from any other hope you have and turn to this God. He is God. His Son is the Savior. We have the privilege of uniting with God in His story. It's our story. Now, friends, a few weeks ago, I was in a group on Tuesday nights in the training center program that we've started here, and Jake leads, and I have a group of men, and we have been telling our stories. And a few weeks ago, one of our members who's been a member here of the church, a friend of mine for years, told his story, and as he was telling it, he shared something, and I'm telling you, we just got silent in the room as we listen to him tell the story. And it's exactly about what we're talking about now. And so, I asked him, clarification, I coerced him, you can say, <laughs> into seeing if he and his sweet wife would share the story. And I don't want you to just watch the video, I got to interview them this week, and I want you to listen to the story from Scott and Jane Alcala. So just watch and listen. Well, Scott and Jane, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes uh, to talk about this great story of what God uh, has done in your life and uh, how he's shown himself faithful. And a few weeks ago, uh, Scott, uh, I got to hear a testimony as you were sharing your story with our men's group about how God really revealed himself in the season of Jehovah Jireh that we have here at West Park and what that meant to you. So a little bit, just tell, tell me a little bit again about that story of what God did. All right. So uh, in the fall of 1998, I left my full-time job as a software developer uh, to become a contract programmer, so pretty much a free agent. Uh, my first contract was supposed to be in Chattanooga. Uh, we were a young family. We weren't thrilled with the idea of uh, me working in Chattanooga, uh, but the plan was for me to uh, 
drive there, stay during the week with a, an ex-coworker, uh, and then come home on the weekends. Um, the day before I was to begin this job, uh, it was a Sunday night, and I remember uh, Jane and the kids getting ready to go to church. Uh, they, they left for church, and I was going to continue packing up the truck and drive to Chattanooga that night. And before I was able to leave, I got a phone call from the company that said, uh, we've changed our mind, uh, we don't need you anymore. And I remember thinking, I may have said it out loud with, with no one else there, but Lord, you must really have something special in mind for me because I feel like you've pulled the rug out from underneath me <laughs> and I just am waiting to hit. The emphasis on the Jehovah Jireh, we had talked about and we're praying about, um, you know, how much we wanted to give. And right. um, God gave us a number that we felt like, okay, this is what we're supposed to give. And I know it was, it was you know, a process and um, sure. several weeks before it yeah. actually came about. And so we had this number in mind and then when, um, the week of the offering actually came right we still you know scott was like are we still what do you think are we still going to give right. this number <laughs> right things have changed yeah <laughs> i remember asking her do we even have that amount and she said um we do but it's yeah. all we have all you had literally all we in had, the checkbook all we had in yes. our checkbook yes uh, by that time. And on the Jehovah Jireh offering day, I remember we filed out row by row and came down the aisle. Right. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and I remember going up to the chest and we had the envelope in our hand together and we dropped it in and we said, Lord, we trust you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and then I don't know if it was the, the very next day or a couple of days later in that week, but I got a, a call from that company I had interviewed with and they were gonna offer me a position. And I remember kneeling down on the floor and putting my head on the couch wow. and weeping. Wow. Um, not only had, not had to take a job in Chattanooga or Nashville or someplace far away, this new company was three miles from our house. Mm -hmm. uh, and and God took our little bit of faithful act and showed Himself very faithful. And as the as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, yeah. He yeah. certainly provided for us. Amen. That story when I heard you share that testimony, uh, Scott, so touched me. I, I we're talking many years ago, and uh, I remember that first Jehovah Jireh. Uh, offering. I had no knowledge of uh, what God was doing with you all at that time. But what has that meant in your life in regard to your, your walk with the Lord, your understanding of the Lord? What's it done for you uh, over the years? Well, this was certainly a turning point for me uh, in, in faith, in being able to trust God, mm -hmm. and especially with finances. Yeah. Um, I, I have never felt uh, any hesitation mm -hmm. since that point uh, when I'm prompted to, to give either spontaneously or for a special offering. Mm -hmm. Never any hesitation that um, we won't be provided for. As a Christian, we learn these verses, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and yes. Romans 8, 28. Right. And um, God gives us the opportunity to live those out through our finances. So every year when the Jehovah Jireh offering comes, it gets kind of emotional for us. Oh, it's, it's very special. Right. It's, it's, it's just that, that reminder that God does provide it's, for everything. Right. It's not just history, it's living. Yes. And yes. the Lord gave you something and showed himself to you in a way that's guided your whole life and uh, it's part of your story. And I want to thank you for sharing that today because when I heard you share, Scott, and thanks so much, Jane, for adding even another dimension here today, it just uh, 
so tied in with this concept of we really can trust God yes. and he is the Lord who provides. Well, thanks to uh, Scott and uh, Jane for allowing us to share that story here and also uh, online, also in the other service. But it is a testimony to God uh, and his faithfulness. But I hope you hear, friends, uh, the journey. You honor God for who he is in your life. And then there comes times as you trust him by faith. And then you know him like you've never known him before. And then as you continue that journey, there's going to be times I must honor him again. Him, he's first. He has first place. And here's another situation where I'm going to trust him. And in doing that, you know him like you've never known him before. And it's this ongoing journey of experiencing God and his goodness and his faithfulness. And we recognize something. Listen carefully. It's only because of Jesus. Amen? In Christ alone. And the team's come up. I want us to sing that uh, song. We're going to sing it out. It's in Christ alone. All glory and honor goes to Jesus Christ who makes this life possible. And my friend, I just want to ask you today, wherever you are, maybe it's in a time that God's wanting to provide for you in amazing ways. It may be through the generosity of others. God has a season. He's providing for you, but it's so you might know him. Maybe it's a situation with a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Honor God, trust him, and you will experience him and know him.